Corner Church at, uh, on Princess Street. And uh, so welcome back. Good, good to be back together with you as a church family today. And uh, we're going through a series called Sacred Practices. And our theme this year is learn. that doesn't know how to be present very well. And the problem is when you're not present, you're, you can't love well. It's not, uh, it's not easy to love if you, if you haven't learned the gift of being present. But the problem is, um, is, is uh, we're, we're, it's like swimming upstream. We're a distracted culture. And the flow of our culture is to be distracted. Uh, Kathleen and I watched this political drama, Borgen. I don't know how any of you have watched it. It's a, it's a Danish-produced uh, political drama. Well done. And it does a great job of showing this woman who's the prime minister of the country, and, uh, and she's trying to balance her, her political life, her vocational life, with her family life. And, and you can just feel the marriage unraveling as... She's have, sitting down for a meal with her family and the, the cell phone buzzes, you know, and she's got to take that text or she's got to look at that text or she's got to take this phone call. And they go on family vacations and the same thing happens and you just feel this invasion of, of her vocation into her, her life and, and when she's uh, doing her job... The, the reverse is happening. Her family's trying to get a hold of her, and there's an emergency at home. And, 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 and I, it just does a powerful job of portraying the, the tensions we suffer in trying to be people that are present and, and um, in, in the moment. And uh, the other day I, on my, my Sabbath, I was uh, coming out of the washroom at Lynn Canyon and there's, there's all these people sitting around. There's this lovely little girl, about seven or eight years old. She was on top of a picnic table, and she was doing this most amazing dance. And it uh, reminded me a little bit of Amy, kind of the same kind of moves, you know, she's making. And, and uh, Fleur, she'd obviously, already obviously had some training, taking ballet or something. And I looked at around, and, and all her family members, anybody connected to her, there, was, there was, seemed to be numbers of them, they all had their eyes down on their cell phone. It was just this most surreal moment, and I thought, these guys are missing this amazing moment, you know. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's such a, 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 a symptom of our times. And so, lovingly present to God, ourselves and one another, involves a very tricky thing. And that is knowing what and to whom we are to be present to at any given moment. Because only God can be present to everybody all the time. So that's part of the trick, isn't it? Is that we have so many options. And at any given moment, who am I to be present to? And um, have you ever felt that conflict? You're in the middle of a task and you want to complete a deadline or you want to read a book or you're watching a TV show or reading an article online and someone or something else is demanding your attention. A phone call comes, you're, you're, something is interrupted. A, te a text, a child, a phone call. So how do you decide? How do you decide? What do you do with interruptions? Isn't it, it'd, be, it'd be a good exercise sometime for you and I to go through the Gospels and notice the times that Jesus is interrupted and how he handles those interruptions. Sometimes it seems like he, he goes with the interruption and sees it as something that the Father's doing. Remember that woman that uh, had the, 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 the flow of blood and, and Jesus was on his way with another deadline. There was a, a girl dying. And, but Jesus was willing to be interrupted there. What was that about? 
And you can, sure, you can be assured that he felt the human emotion and the conflict of that moment. How do we decide these things? Well, to do so requires cultivating the art of discernment. Discernment is, is one of the most critical qualities that you can develop as a disciple of Jesus. And that requires a relationship with the Holy Spirit. That we, this, this is the su Sunday we're celebrating, the first Sunday after Pentecost. And the Christian life, Paul wrote, writes, and the text, by the way, that I'm using today, we've already read in our second reading. That's my text. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, I have good news for you. That sounds scary because many times I'm not led by the Spirit of God. Does that mean I'm not a child of God? Well, the good news is, is there's a little Greek happening here. Right, Drew? The word uh, for children there is the Greek word huos. And there's two words for child. One is huos, which means matured, seasoned child of God. Or mature son, it literally means in the, in the Greek. But there's another word for child, which is technon, which is just, it, it's like a little child. Right? So there's, both these words are being used in this text where Paul says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. By the way, the word flesh is the Greek word starts, which is not body. And that's where the church has gotten into trouble a lot of times is they confuse the flesh, the flesh, the, the evil nature with the body. Now, the body sometimes, as St. Augustine, he called the, no, no, it was, who was it? St. Augustine or St. Francis? I can't remember. Called his, bro, his body Brother Ass. <laughs> Brother Ass. And what he meant was, is that sometimes it's just a beast of burden. It just gets in the way. And, and uh, uh, it, it, it can really cooperate with the sin nature. But it's not evil in itself. The, the body is good. And so you'll see the word body is used here. The misdeeds of the body works with the flesh. This word is sarx. This is soma, the word body. And the word flesh literally means any part of my life that I do independent of God, that I do without him. So it's not just what we would call sins of the flesh, you know, the bad stuff, you know, the heavy rank sins. But it could be just me doing Christian stuff independently and going ahead of God. It's just any way in my life that I choose to live independently of the Spirit of God, of, of the grace of God, which is where it all started, isn't it? Back in the garden, is we, we were invited into independence from, from God. So the good news then is that discernment is a growing thing. You're not going to learn it overnight. In fact, when you're first a believer, it, it comes in spurts. And I'm going to give you a story of St. Ignatius of Loyola, how that he had to learn discernment, and it was a growing process, how he began to discern the, the movings of the, the inner movements of, those, of the Holy Spirit that are, that are with actually right here. It's not out there. It's like, oh God, would you please, where are you, God? It's right here. That's what sacred practices teach us and help us. So I want to talk about that today. So a critical element of, uh, of this, is Paul said, the spirit you receive does not make you slaves, as we sang this morning, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So every believer, every follower of Jesus the moment you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, there's a movement inside you that goes, I'm God. Doesn't matter what I've done. Doesn't matter where I've been. Doesn't matter how I've failed. Doesn't matter what kind of shame I'm wallowing in. I'm his. I'm God's. Abba. That's the spirit. That's the movement of the spirit. And actually, that's where discernment begins. That's where your discernment life begins is when there's that sense in you, I'm loved by God. I'm his. I belong. 
right? That's where it begins. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's technon. Not Hewatts there. Technon. Little child. You're God's little child. David said, I've quieted my soul like a little child with his mother. And if you ever get beyond that, it's a little too complicated, eh? So, a critical element of loving presence and discernment is, is learning to be present to ourselves. Now, this sounds really strange for, to an evangelical mind. We were raised to believe that ourselves are bad. That sounds like being self-centered and self-absorbed. Uh, but actually, it's more like self-awareness. And the modern day is mindfulness. Mindfulness is not something new. You know, you see it a lot in psychology magazines and they talk about it in schools. Mindfulness comes from the church, the tradition of the church. It comes from Eastern practice of learning to be aware of what's going on inside. You know, what got us away from that was Western Greek culture, Greek thinking. And, and uh, where we exalted the, the, the intellect over the heart. And so, what are some barriers to being self-aware? There's mis misguided understandings. We confuse the true self with the false self. The false self is, is what arises when we reject the truth about what God says. And we, we create a false identity. And we, we live in another reality than who we really are. And I want to argue today that to learn to pay attention to ourselves is critical, <clears throat> absolutely essential, in, in learning to pay attention to God. <clears throat> and also being able to be present to other people well. It's critical to being led by God. And the ancient practices of being present to self need to be recovered for this. Now, an example of this is Augustine of Hippo. St. Augustine lived around 400 AD in that time. And I had the privilege of immersing myself in his book, The Confessions, The Confessions of St. Augustine, which was way ahead of his time. A book like Confessions had never been written before like that. It was a self-revealing, self-aware uh, autobiography, the way that a spiritual journey that he wrote that just was such a game-breaker uh, for humanity, let alone the church. And my favorite of all quotes of St. Augustine, and some of you are probably familiar with this, well, there's one, one, one quote, there's another one, before he was a Christian, that was kind of a favorite for me, because I kind of identify with it sometimes. It was a prayer where he said, Lord, because he, he was a real sexual addict, and, and he, he just uh, uh, was shacked up with a girl a lot of the time before he became a Christian. And so his prayer was, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. It was kind of like, you know, I, I know that's what I need, but, you know, give me some time. That was kind of pre-Christian prayer. But this is my favorite prayer by Augustine. This is right after he became a Christian. He describes what happened. And let's, let these beautiful words just wash over you. He says, late, and he's talking to God, of course. Late have I loved you, beauty so old and so new. Late have I loved you. And see, you were within, and I was in the external world, and sought you there. And in my unlovely state, I plunged into those lovely created things which you made. You were with me, but I was not with you. What's he talking about? That was before he was a Christian. He's describing what his life was like. That God was here, but he was too busy being out here. This is one of the fathers of the church, the founding, you know, the, 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 the Reformed church, the Protestant church. So many of us draw our theology from this guy. And he was saying that God was right here before he became a Christian. And I believe that's true. If I can push your buttons a little bit. I believe that's true of every person on earth. I believe that God is in every person on earth. 
The problem is we're out of relationship with God. And the reason is, is because we think God's out there. And what he's saying is, is, is uh, in my unlovely state. In other words, I assumed that there was ugliness here. I assumed that I had to find beauty out there somewhere. And so those became my addictions. But you were with me. And like the prodigal son, remember what it says, that beautiful verse in Luke? It says, one day in the pig pen, he came to himself. Isn't that a powerful phrase? He came to himself. You were with me, but I wasn't with you. The lovely things that were good in themselves, but they kept me far from you. Though if they did not have their existence in you, they had no existence at all. So they're lovely, but even they, even though they took me from you, were from you. And then this beautiful final paragraph, he says, you called and cried aloud and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent. You put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant. And I drew in my breath and now pant after you. I taste of you. And I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me. And I am set on fire to obtain the Augustine. So, let's go to another great uh, reformer in the church, fellow by the name of Saint Ignatius of Loyola. And trick question, where is he from? Loyola, very good. <laughs> and his actual name was Inigo Lopez de Loyola, which is his Spanish. He reminds me of that guy in, what is it, Princess Bride? My name is Loyola. You killed my father, prepare to die. But anyway, moving along here, his, that was his Spanish birth name, but he went later in life by his Latin name because he spent a lot of time in, in Italy and in France, and it was easier for those folks to pronounce. Um, and the Loyola is a village in the Basque area of Spain. He was born in 1491, one year before Columbus discovered America. And um, he was... One of 13 children, and his mother died shortly after his birth. And like um, Augustine, he's, he was a playboy, a womanizer, sexual addict. He was also really into violence. So he's into sex and violence. And often there was this kind of Christian veneer. Kind of reminds me of West North American Christianity. There's kind of this Christian veneer around the sex and violence. Uh, in those days, in the medieval times. And he had a very imaginative life. I mean, he would have been a video game addict in, in our day. And he framed his life and imagination around mili military stories, such as Camelot and Elseed and others. And he had this lust for fame, power, and he was fond of actually dueling with the sword. And he prided himself in, in dueling to, to the death and killing his competitor. He even boasted in killing Muslims that way, who denied the deity of Christ. So this whole thing of stuff done in the name of Christ is not new, eh? So he fought for the Spanish army. Um, and in a battle with the French, he was struck in the legs by a cannonball. And it shattered one leg, and another, the other leg was also severely injured. And as he, he was returned home to his father's castle, where he went under, underwent several surgeries without an anesthetic. No anesthetics back then. To try to salvage his legs. He was left with one leg shorter than the other, walking with a limp for the rest of his days, and his army days were over. So Ignatius walks with this limp. So while he's in surgery, this highly active imagination is going crazy. He's sitting in his bed, and he's, and he's imagining vividly. He liked to imagine being in wars and fighting, and if it wasn't about war, it was about sex and lusting after a beautiful woman and how to win the hand of the latest woman that he fell in love with. 
But unfortunately for him, he was in this religious hospital where they only had religious books instead of the novels about what they called romances of chivalry. There were books on the life of Jesus and the saints. It was one of these Catholic hospitals, right? So interspersed between his, his imaginings about great exploits and war and violence and sexuality, he actually, with the reading he had, began to dream sometimes about being a follower of Jesus. He began to dream what it would like to be a disciple of Jesus, the way that the Bible described it. And he read books about the saints and the heroes of faith. And he began to daydream about what that would be like. And then he would go back to daydreaming about a great warrior. So it went back and forth. But here's what he noticed. He noticed something that he later was to call consolation and desolation. And well, you've heard that phrase probably if you've been around us in the last few years. He began to notice that after his imaginations about war and violence and, 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 and uh, violent conquest and sexuality, there was this dissatisfaction that would follow. He'd feel so empty. But then when he began to imagine a life of following Jesus and imitating the saints, he felt this growing joy and this sense of peace. And this was even perhaps prior to his conversion, his first experience with consolation and desolation. He began to sense, he began to experience discernment. See, discernment, by the way, is not just discerning between good spirits and bad spirits. How many know the trickiest discernment for you and I is often between good and good? There, we, we have all these good options. And learning discernment on that w was just as important. But often it starts at this elementary level of between good and bad. And noticing what happens after we've indulged our addictions. And then what happens after we deny our addic addictions and, and choose Christ. And choose his word. And so he called them good spirits and bad spirits when he, when he would meditate. And he even began to meditate. And this is where the exercises, spiritual exercises of Ignatius, which I don't have time to talk about today, is where you actually take yourself into a Bible story and you make yourself one of the characters. So the story, you know, of the guy that, that got let down through the roof, Imagining yourself being that guy, or his friends, or the crowd that's watching, or the Pharisees, or Jesus himself. And actually inviting the Holy Spirit to come into that, using your imagination. St. Saint, Saint Ignatius of Loyola was the guy that developed that. And it's been a normal practice that I've used for years, uh, combined with Lectio Divina, to really cause Scripture to be alive. And so I'd like, to, I'd like us as a church to, to begin to work on some of these practices because they really help us integrate the scripture into our, our life and our fabric as a community. So Ignatius began to follow Jesus. He, 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 this peace and joy led him into a surrender to Christ. And so he went to university in Paris. And there he gathered around him some close friends and fellow students who made a solemn covenant together. They formed a tight-knit community so that they could talk to each other about their consolations and their desolations. That He recognized that self-awareness and self-knowledge depends on community because we're our own biggest liars. We lie to ourselves. And so, as we've been talking about over the last few weeks, how important community is for this. It's not a journey. We, it's hazardous to go on our own in this. We need each other. And so out of that came the Society of Jesus. Have you heard of that? The Jesuits? That was formed out of this. And he discovered the critical role of discernment and he, in community. And he developed this thing called the examine. You heard of the 12 steps? I think the 12 steps might have come out of the five steps. The, it very well could have. Um, and... The, the examine that he developed was based on the premise that the unexamined life is not worth living. If there isn't a way for you and I to assess our lives, to examine our lives, to look again at our lives, then we become like bulls in china shops with 
with regards to our relationship to each other. We just keep hurting each other and trampling each other and smashing each other and, and hurting God in the process without this practice of examining. So it starts with this, what, the way we start our services every Sunday. It starts with silence. And uh, I like to start with silence by taking three deep breaths and um, often light a candle with it like we do corporately. Don't have to. None of this is, is required. But whatever helps you kind of become centered and become aware that you're in the presence of God, that Jesus is with you, and that you're not doing this alone. That's why David said, search me, O God, because we recognize that self-awareness is something we need God's help with. We need, we need to invite the Holy Spirit um, to empower us for this. And then I often, in, in, in silence... And my mind wanders just as bad as any of yours, so don't worry, don't feel... I, I would say in 20 minutes of centering prayer that I do, I may get about a minute or two where I really feel centered and focused sometimes. That's how bad it is. But I find that those moments are so critical. Those moments where I just connect and I'm not thinking about my sermon and I'm not thinking about this. How many are talking to somebody and all in the, all in the middle of something, you, you think about something you need to do? And you're not listening to them anymore. And I'm like that with God all the time. And so it's just, but, but don't be hard on yourself. I usually use a sacred word. For me, it's often Jesus. A sacred word is when my mind has wandered, I just, I just breathe that Eastern Orthodox prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Or, or just say the name Jesus, and it just brings me back. And not berate myself. Don't be hard on myself. Because that just makes it worse, right? Jesus, Jesus is so delighted that you just took some time, some time to be with him. You know? Can you, can you just imagine for a moment how incredibly thrilled he is? That in all the distractions and the busyness and the pressures and the deadlines of our time, that you just took a couple of moments to stop and to notice, to be with him. So let it, just be, let it just be so immersed in grace. Let it be so immersed in just God's goodness and delight. Delight, delight, delight over you. And, and recognize that the blood of Jesus has covered every sin, every shame. And even if that sin just happened 30 seconds ago, uh, the blood of Jesus is enough. To make a way for God to say, welcome. So the second step of the examine is to then review the last 24 hours. And they recommend you don't have to do it this way. I find it's effective when I actually start with a moment that just happened before. And I work my way back over the last 24 hours. And the way that one Catholic person said was, it's like putting a DVD of your past 24 hours on, going backwards, and inviting Jesus to come and watch it with you. And just, just reviewing, first of all, with gratitude. Where were those moments where I felt God's presence, where I sensed God, where I saw the, the face of God in somebody? Or where I didn't see the face of God in somebody? I thought it was the devil. <laughs> no. You know what I mean. Like there's the desolations, right? And journaling Starting at that place of gratitude. And then thirdly, and these, these are not, <coughs> these can be simultaneously. Pay attention to your feelings. I love what the, uh, Peter Scazzaro and Jerry, the uh, uh, first time I met them or saw them in person was over at 10th. And they, they give the, the, the mad, glad, sad, worry grit. So sometimes when I'm, and by the way, journaling helps with this. If you use a journal to write, some people don't. They prefer to draw or, or just imagine. So whatever works for you. And, and some people prefer to do this at night. Some people prefer it in the morning. Maybe some others, it's a lunch break. It's a in the middle of, don't, there's no legalism here. But it's a time where you stop and you review your life. So often when I'm journaling, I find I, I default to events. Well, then I did this. And then I did this, and then I, 
And I find that Peter and Jerry's questions are a good check for me. Oh yeah, but how were you feeling then? The other day, uh, I had to do a quick errand. I was driving back from Home Depot, and I turned left off of Broadway onto Victoria. Victoria Drive is my least favorite drive these days because everybody thinks it's a freeway. And I've lived within a minute or two of Victoria Drive for almost 26 years. I've watched people get mowed over by cars. Uh, not literally, but I've, I've you know, it, it's happened while I've been there and the stories are very vivid. And it's, it's, it's a nightmare. And, and, and you, turn, you turn left off of Broadway when you finally can do so. And you, turn, you go up north on Victoria and there's playgrounds, school zones, crosswalk after crosswalk. And every back alley, there's a car trying to get out into the street. And they can't see you because of parked cars. And then the street, side streets are the same. So I just decided a long time ago, I don't care if the speed limit is 50 miles an hour, or, or uh, what is it, 50 Ks, 50 Ks an hour. I don't care. I'm going to drive where I feel comfortable. So I usually, like, uh, I usually have somebody on my bumper wanting, to, wanting me to hurry up. And so the other day, somebody's on my bumper, and I can see them, I can feel them, I can feel their breath. I can smell their breath. And, and I'm going through a school zone, and they're just riding my tail. And so I, I get out of the school zone. There's no, it's back to 50 at that point. I go up to 40, not 30, 40. I'm not going any faster because people step out on those crosswalks, you know, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a nightmare. So I don't know how long this happened. The, 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 Two young guys, I will not say how young, I will not say their age, I will not say their gender, oh, I already said their gender. Um, <laughs> I will not give their ethnicity, I will not say anything like that. But they were riding my, and so finally I turned off, you know, to get to my house, off Victoria, and I heard a guy lean out the car and scream, idiot! So, so right then, I decided that I was going to go chase them down, get on their bumper, and scare that bleep out of them. And uh, so that passed. Um, and so, so at, at first I felt, of course, really anger, and like, I, these guys, they're going to kill somebody, and they need to be taught a lesson, and, you know. And then with, within a couple of seconds, it was like the Holy Spirit just said, what's going on in you right now? And I realized that, that what I was feeling was way out of proportion with what happened. You know, I felt shame, I felt derided, I felt anger, I felt justification. So, so it was like the Holy Spirit said, just pay attention to that. Just pay attention to that. Now, there's been times where... Uh, even this, this week, somebody came flying up a one-way street from our, on our street, and I pulled out. When you pull out from the left side on a one-way street, you can't see a car coming. You don't have that vantage point of being on the driver's side. If you're in England, you would, but you don't hear. So, so I almost hit the guy, and I yelled, one-way street! Okay, so there was no self-reflection going on there. It was just, boom, and then, you know, the guy could have stopped, and we could have had a big fight, but we didn't. He kept going. He probably was feeling shame about it. But my point is this, is that there, th there was all kinds of justification that I could have jumped to. This guy is, is being dangerous. He's going to hurt somebody. He could have jumped into it. But, but it all came back to what was, that, what was going on in me. What's going on in me? And I realized that that is something I will take to spiritual direction. Because it's more, it was more than, it was just way out of proportion. So that's what I mean by, by noticing emotions. And, and it's not just negative. Like if there's real joy that happens, what's that about? What's God saying to you in, in that? Um, and then what, what I would do is choose a feature of the day that stands out. It could be a consolation. 
A consolation is where you feel like you were drawn closer to God. A desolation is where you feel like you were taken away from God. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a negative circumstance. How many know negative circumstances don't necessarily take you away from God? It's what you choose to do with those. It's what's going on in your heart. And so, for example, this week, uh, there was just this moment where Kathleen had come into the kitchen and I was reading the paper and, and she was trying to talk to me and I was in the middle of an article and, and it was like one of those few moments and windows where we had a chance to really connect. And then it was gone. She went up the stairs and I felt this deep grief and sadness. That it didn't have to be a big, long, deep scenario, but just, just to connect. It, I really felt God's grief. Well, that's desolation, right? And, and, I, and I felt a zeal to, to, try to try to correct that. And that's kind of that is, look, how can I do this differently? How can I learn from this? An unexamined life is unworth living. You got a bad golf swing? Needs to be examined. Needs to be, you know, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, right? So, um, a few years ago, I'll, I'll close with this. Um, my, I had an opportunity, we had an opportunity to, I preached in uh, Luzerne, Switzerland. And I think some of you have heard this story. But I, I preached in Luzerne, Switzerland at the International Church of Luzerne. Powerful time. God just moved. Marcus and Dee at the time with their family were living in Zurich, which is less, about an hour away from, from Luzerne. This church liked me so much, and their pastor was just leaving, and they invited me to apply for the opening. And we connected a number of people, prophetic work, you know. It was one of those things. And I came back to Canada from our holiday and I went to see my spiritual director, and I said, what do I do? I said, my, my, my children and grandchildren, most of them are here. This is a beautiful city. I love Luzerne. Luzerne's my favorite city in Europe. It's just amazing, beautiful place. And I, lo I love the Swiss people. I love I loved the setting. And I felt, I felt God's heart for that place, for the young people. And my spiritual director, Jeff Imbach, said, you know what I'm sensing? This is, a, is not a choice between what's good or bad. This is a choice between what's good and what's good. And either one, God will bless. If you choose to stay in Vancouver, God will bless it. If you choose to go to Luzerne, God will bless it. So here's what I would recommend. I want you to take one week and live as if you were going to move to Luzerne. And pay attention to your heart. Pay attention to those inner movements, those consolations and those desolations. And record them every day. Do an examine. Just what are you feeling? And at the end of that week, then take a week as if you're going to live in Vancouver. And do that same discernment exercise, just consolation, desolation. And so I did. I, I took his advice, and I went through the first week, and living in Luzerne, a lot of positive things. Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Be beautiful, close to grandkids, and all of this. And, uh, then the, the second week, Vancouver, same thing. It was exactly the same. Like, no different, just similar joy, similar peace about it. He was right. Either one would have been good. But all of a sudden, on my uh, Wednesday of the week, which is right midway through the week, which is the day that I usually fast and pray at least one day, one meal, maybe more, for the church, usually for the church. Often lift your name up in person on that day. And I'm walking through the neighborhood, and I come home. And for some reason, I... I decided to pray on, I felt compelled to get on my face in my, in my study. And I, I don't do that very often anymore because I pray better when I walk. I stay awake better. But this time I got on my face and I began to pray and something hit me so strong that it's still difficult for me to describe. But it was like this fire. It was like this grief over our city. 
And I thought of the 15 to 20 years that I'd invested and prayed and sacrificed and walked through stuff. And I thought of all the sowing and the tears. And this literally, this wail came out of my heart for Vancouver. And, and I thought, I, you know what? God's saying I can do either thing, but you know what? I got to be where the fire is. I got to be where the fire burns. So that's what I mean by paying attention. And just think, my grandkids moved back in a couple of years. I'd have really been tripped. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a bummer, right? So can we just close by practicing a little bit? Why don't we just, just take a moment and... like each of you just to enter into silence again. Just take maybe two or three deep breaths. Just let God's love and arms embrace you. Welcome you, hold you. And just, just let the video go. It doesn't have to be the last 24 hours just because we don't have a lot of time, but just let Jesus kind of walk with you maybe into some of those moments where there's been emotion, feelings, joy, sadness, fear, Anger, frustration. Let him be with you there. He delights in you, delights over you, feels your grief. Just let his words, I love the words of Julian of Norwich, all will be well, all will be well. You're in my head. My will and my desire for you is as big as a universe. And just pay attention to maybe some consolation just where you feel taken away from his presence? Would you just in those points just realize there's mercy there, there's forgiveness that with confession comes infinite grace. It's why he came. It's why he went to the cross. And he's so brokenhearted when we don't just receive his forgiveness and grace after he did all that. So just receive forgiveness and some gentle proddings and how could we do this differently? How, how could we learn from it? With, without judgment, without condemnation, he said a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering candle he's not going to snuff out. Not going to snuff it out. And then take his hand and know that you're not, you're not going into your tomorrows alone. You're, he's with you. I'm going to need to prepare you to dismiss in a minute, but I have a couple words. One is um, I lost my keys for a few moments or an hour or so on one morning and, and I have these expensive keys that are really expensive to replace the door for a house. I think it costs about 80 bucks to repair and the, the car keys, you know, the modern day car keys are, are not cheap. 
So I was looking at hundreds of dollars to try to get that. And I had key, keys to my garage, keys to our barbecue to lock, and keys to the car and the house. And, and, and I was about to go on my prayer walk. And I, I just finally said, okay, I've done everything I can do. I'm just going to, I got to give it away. I got to give it up. So I asked Kathleen to leave the door of the house unlocked. And I went out for my walk. And as I went on that walk, I just felt like, remember that picture I gave you a few weeks ago of climbing the mountain, how that Christianity, we sometimes feel like it's climbing the mountain, but actually Christianity is where you actually let yourself fall backwards down the mountain. That's what Christianity is, surrender. And that's literally what I felt I was doing. I was giving up control. I was just giving up control. And in the middle of my grief and anguish and frustration, because I thought, God, I don't have time for this. Have you ever said that? I don't have time for this. I just felt his peace come. And I felt this, as I came back and found the keys, long story short, but I, I felt like the Lord say, we'd just been to that First Nations play the night before, and I felt like the Lord said, I gave you a picture of what it feels like to be marginalized, to feel like you haven't got access. I felt like just being shut out of my own house, shut out of my own garage, shut out of my own car. That sense of not feeling access, and I feel there's somebody here that's been struggling with that this week. It's like you don't have access to what you see other people having access to. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to give you some keys today. And the second thing I felt was that story of the paralytic I told you about. I was doing the Ignatian exercise where Jesus said, who do you identify with in that story? Is it the, the friends who brought the paralytic to the to, to Jesus and took him through the roof? Is it the crowd? Is it the owner of the house? Is it Jesus? Is it the fair? Who do you identify with? And I remember I said, I don't like this. I'm angry because I identify with that paralytic. I don't want to be that... I don't want to be that loser anymore. And Jesus said to him, he says he looked at the faith of his friends and he said to him, Rise, take up your bed, and what did he say? That's what I thought he said. But I looked at, does God ever do that? He sneaks something in the Bible without asking you? You know what it says there in Mark? Take up your bed and go home. And something inside of me said, when are you going to realize you're home? We're always trying to find home somewhere. God is our and I feel that words for somebody today. You're home. Amen. You have a quick word? Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Two minutes till kids. <laughs> um, some of you probably have to go to But when Gordy was preaching, me and Augustine said that God shattered his heart. And so I felt like, I felt like that's what he wants to do. on a journey for about an hour and he was just doing horrible accusational things and, and I couldn't figure out what would he, what was he doing it was terrible he was telling me and I said well mom that's exactly what I had to go through because he was dealing with accusations he's no good he's just a piece of whatever he's always been the black sheep of the family he'll never be any good and he had all these accusations in his mind that was just constantly berating him and he let me experience that for a few well I can't even remember it was just unbelievable I couldn't just and then experiencing that one hit in the church where I was sexually disorder he was healing 
thank God the Lord has healed him and where he's learning how to not to push that down and medicate himself with drugs, but learn how, no, that's why it's so important to say, I love you. No matter what you're going, I love you. So I just feel like God wants to, you know, many of you are already feeling tears. Maybe we just need to pick up God's voice and start affirming one another. Now, when Gordy had that horrible problem with his teeth, I'm, of course, not going to know because I'm, then I said, okay, I'm not going to, so I started praying with, in tongues. And maybe you guys don't pray in tongues, but that works for me. And that's one of the reasons why my son also got born again, because whenever he lost his wife, I would just go, I would just pray in tongues, and then the Lord would show me where he swallowed it. So that's the other thing I want to say that God is powerful and he gives us words of knowledge and he gives us not because we deserve it. So when I did pray in tongues, the Lord said, there's the keys are in your stomach. So actually I caused a lot of grief for my husband because he put the keys down and he thought they were my keys and I put them in the purse. My purse. And he had a lot of grief for over a half an hour about whether they were my keys or not the keys. So I said, but, but I was so delighted that I found the keys. That would have been really bad if we'd gone the whole half a day. And I, then when I finally leave for work, I find the keys in my seat. Now you know. I, <laughs> I didn't tell you. So that's the other thing, that I want to release the gift of the Holy Spirit to you so that sometimes you just need to pray in the Spirit and then the Holy Spirit can show you things. Okay. Okay. Thanks, honey. Thanks for that confession. Let's stand together. <laughs> I think we need, do need to pray for each other. Take authority over that spirit of deafness that comes because the enemy is screaming at us how bad we are instead of the Lord saying it. So let me bless you. So the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, 